Would you turn with me to uh, the book of Hebrews? We're going to be looking at one verse today, the glorious Christ. And uh, it's one of my favorite verses about the deity and his sufficiency and his wonder and his glory as we uh, think about this time for communion. We have to think about the person who died on the cross. So let's pray. Let's uh, ask God to focus our minds and our hearts. We would fall deeper in love with this Christ who bore our sins on the cross. Father, we thank you that we can come on this rainy day to worship your son. You have given us eyes to see the beauty and the majesty and the wonder and the splendor that he is worth giving our lives. He is worth living for. And so, Father, we pray that you would open our ears and open our eyes, open our hearts to hear your word. I pray that your word would come sharply as a double-edged sword, piercing to the depths of a bone and marrow, even to the joints, Lord. We pray that you would do your surgery, your heart work surgery that you do. Lord, that Christ would not be a mockery, but he would be holy majesty. He would not be a joke, but he'd be the just judge. And so, Father, we pray this morning, help us to hear your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I had two really good friends in junior high and, and a little bit of high school. And I remember we did a lot of homework together. We did a lot of group work together. We got in trouble together. Stayed out at night together. Did all these things together. And as, as we did all these things, we kind of grew up similar lives. Not exactly the same. Um, but what happened is I, I was invited to go to youth group, and so were they at uh, Community Bible Church up in Vallejo. I remember I was sitting there with my friends, and I heard the gospel, I heard the gospel relate, and I heard about the wonder and the majesty of Christ. And I remember being so struck with it as God was drawing me to himself, that it was not abstract ideas, they were not simply just um, uh, fan fanciful thinking, but it was actually real, and I understood it to be so. But for some reason, my friends didn't see it that way. They just thought, oh, you know what, I, I haven't been raised that way. I, I really don't, and, and what he was trying to voice to me is he didn't really see the value of what was being talked about. He thought it was a waste of time when we got together on Fridays to hear about scripture, about the word of God for an hour, or to go to church. He goes, you're going to go Friday, and then you're going to go Sunday, and then you're going to come back Sunday evening? Why? I mean, we're there for girls, right? That's what he asked me, right? So as we were thinking about it, and I noticed that all of a sudden my life started to make a different, a marked change. Though he grew up in the kind of the same town and same kind of situation, our lives were different. It, God opened my eyes. He started to show me something beautiful. Or should I say someone beautiful. And in the book of Hebrews, 
God is revealing this beautiful one, this magnificent one, this one who died on the cross for the sins of man. And he says here, I believe that this passage in Hebrews 1, 3, we're going to see here. Let me read 1 and 2 for the flow again, if you remember from four weeks ago. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3. And we're just going to, we're just going to preach on verse 3. We're going to hear it on verse 3. It says here, He's the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When we had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And quite simply, I believe God's word is speaking to you this morning so that you would worship the Lord Jesus Christ. This is about the preeminence, the magnificence, the splendor, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. The text is here so that you would bow. Not so simply you would have a lesson in theology, so that your hearts would bow to Christ. To be struck with his beauty, now, in this passage of Scripture, God is speaking of the glory of Christ, and your only proper and real response is true and utter worship. There are two main reasons why you should worship Christ given in this text. He's going to outline so many reasons of why you should worship Christ. He's already talked about it in verses 1 and 2. But in this text, verse 3, he's going to give two big reasons. And first, uh, in verse 3a and b, we can call it, is worship Christ because he is God. Worship Christ because he is God. And you notice his person. It says, and he is the radiance of his glory. Christ expresses God's splendor. Christ expresses God's splendor. We know he is referring to Jesus Christ. He says here, he is the radiance of his glory. We know from verses 1 and 2. In verse 2, if you notice, he says, in these last days has spoken to us in son. In other words, we know he spoke in different portions and in many ways. But he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. Jesus Christ is the apex of revelation. He is the Lord of everything, whom he appointed heir of all things. He is the agent of creation, he says, through whom also he made the world. And now, after he has stated this about this great one, this majestic one, he says he is the radiance of his glory. What does that mean? He is the radiance of his glory. The word there for radiance means to the effulgence, the outshining. The radiance from a source, an efflux of light. He is indeed, he indeed sheds light on just who God is. Mankind cannot see God unprotected. unprotected. You remember in John it says no one has seen God, right? No one has seen God. Even when he spoke to Moses and Moses says, I want to see your glory. 
See, when God works on the heart of man, rather than fear and trembling, rather than uh, running away, when God works on the heart of man, he wants to see the glory of Christ. And so that's exactly what happened to Moses. And Moses said to God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And as you are saved, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to see more of him. But alas, if God the Father were to show us his glory in full projection, without anything, any other protection, apart from the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would be undone. We would be destroyed. We would be like raiders of the lost ark when they opened the ark and they all kind of melted, right? God, the Father, is expressed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot see him unprotected. And then it says here, he is the radiance of his glory. Notice the glory here is the manifestation of God's excellent power. It's his excellent reputation. When we talk about glory and when we talk about sports figures, when we say Usain Bolt, what is his glory? His glory is he could run faster than anyone on the planet. Right? When we talk about the glory of athletes, we know what are they known for. Steph Curry, he could shoot a basket from three miles away, right? That's his glory. What is the glory of God? It is his reputation. It is his magnificence, it is excellence, it is his preeminence, it is his dignity, his grace, his majesty. In other words, if we were to say it this way, when we look at the life and the words and the description of the Lord Jesus Christ, as it is put in scripture, remember many portions in many ways, now we see the radiance. When we see that, we see God's glory shine through Jesus Christ. And see, this is why people have a difference of who he is. It's easy for the world to accept Jesus as a teacher. It's easy for the world to accept Jesus as a religious leader. It's easy for the world to accept Jesus as some Jewish priest. It is not easy for the world to receive him as who he really is in magnificence and in radiance. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, this is precisely what men and women reject. The, un, the unique and unparalleled glory of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And see, as believers, I know this to be the case. When I share the data the reasons why people should come to Christ. As convincing as I want to be, as persuasive as I want to be, I know they will not come. They will not see beauty in what I'm saying. They will not see beauty in the word of God. They will not see beauty in the local church. They don't see it as worth anything, spending their time at all, getting up early at all. They don't see it worth anything. Why? Because they don't see the beauty of Christ himself. Notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is talking about this ministry that he has. He's a minister of the new covenant. And he says, verse 1, therefore we have this ministry as we have received mercy. We do not lose heart. We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Notice he says here, 
Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What do you mean, Paul? He says, in whose case the God of this world, that is the devil himself, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Why don't people, notice, it's not just that they don't see the gospel. Notice in verse 4. It's not that they don't understand the gospel or they never heard the gospel. It's that they don't see the gospel, it says here, what? Of the glory, the majesty, the reputation, the splendor of Christ himself. What is he saying? He's saying, for we, he's saying this, that the God of this world, under satanic influence, that is Satan, blinded the minds of the unbelieving. It isn't a matter of information. It isn't a matter of apologetics. I can talk about, if you want to talk about the fossil record and talk about evolution, we can talk about that. If you want to talk about archaeology, we can talk about that. But I know at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the reason why someone will not come to Christ is they don't see his glory. There are folks who just like to talk about religion. They like to talk about all these things. But they never make that corner. They never turn that corner. Turning to Christ because they don't see his glory. He's not worth it. Look at verse 5 and 6. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Now notice, this is interesting in verse 6. Okay, He's going to use the same verbiage as Hebrews. He uses now the same kind of language. There is radiance or light okay, attached with glory. Okay, Notice in verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So God, Jesus Christ, shines the glory of God the Father. The, the shining is the expression. It's the conveying to mankind. And you notice he says in verse 6, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, he is referring back to creation. He's saying, just as it is a creative work, when God created the universe as he spoke, he says, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And now he's liking in it to that when someone sees the glory of Christ, sees the radiance, sees the splendor, it is a work of God such that is tantamount to creation itself. That when he created the lights that shine, the sun and the moon that shine, that it is tantamount to creation itself. And some would say that when someone comes to Christ, that God exerts even more force, even more energy. Because in creation, he created out of nothing. But when he saves man, a woman, a child, he saves something that is rebelling against him. Light shall shine forth. And every time someone really and truly comes to know Jesus Christ, 
It is a miraculous event. When we share Christ, we pray that we are clear, yes. We pray that we know the scriptures, yes. We pray that there's a quiet place to share, yes. We pray for no interruptions, yes. But you must, you must, you must pray that God would reveal the radiance, the glory of Christ to this individual or they will not see. God has to move. Christ expresses God's splendor. Christ shares God's substance. If you would go back to Hebrews chapter 1, he says, and the exact representation of his nature. The word there, exact representation, is the word where we get the word character. Not character as a joker, but character as an imprint. It was used as the instrument used in engraving or carving. It is a stamp or a die. It became to be the mark or the figure or the letter stamped upon that instrument or wrought out. It's the tool for engraving. So they would, there would be a press with an insignia, and as it's pressed, you would see that the insignia left an exact representation. It's the stamped on impression, the exact representation, the image of a person or a thing, marked likeness, precise reproduction in every respect. He says it is the exact representation. And if we were to, if we were to doubt, well, he meant like it. He's saying that Jesus is like God, but not exactly like God. If we were to doubt that, he adds this clause of his nature. He is the exact representation of his nature. That means his substantial nature, his essence, his actual being, his reality, his real being, his essence, the nature of a thing. So if we were to say it in another way, it would be this, that all that God is, Jesus is. All of his attributes, if you were to call it, all of his excellencies, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his, uh, all, that, all that you can call God, Jesus is. And that's why it said in Colossians 1, where Mike was reading for us, Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And later on, Paul says in Colossians 2.9, in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Christ shares in the same essence of God in great glory. Christ shares in that essence because he's the exact representation. He reveals God in great glory because he is the radiance. And this is put together in another verse, if you remember, in John 1.14, you can jot this down. The word became flesh, dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. There it is, the radiance, right? We saw it. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. Only begotten, he shares of the same essence, full of grace and truth. If you want a theological term to jot down and to learn there, that's the hypostatic union of Christ. That he is both fully God and fully man. 
The word therefore, um, essence there is where we get the word hypostatic, okay? The hypostatic union of Christ. Now, that is his person. Then you have his rule. Worship Christ because he's God. How does he show that? By his person and by his rule. He upholds all things by the power, by the word of his power. Notice he says there, he upholds all things. The word there for uphold is to carry, to bear, to bring forward. Jesus Christ is carrying all of the universe by a word of his power, that which is said, saying, expression. So what this is saying is that all that was created, notice he says here in verse 1 and verse 2, he says, through whom also he made the world. So Jesus is not only the agent of creation, he is also the sustainer of everything. Why, is, why, are the neutrons and, why are the neutrons and protons and electrons, we understand that if they're all together, why are they all, why are the protons in the middle and the electrons spinning? What keeps all of those things together? Why, are all, why, are, why aren't the planets leaving in orbit? Why are all these things brought together? What accounts for you to have your next heartbeat and your next breath? It's because Christ is sustaining the universe. See, this really hits home to me. Okay. If he could sustain the universe, he could sustain me. Amen? If he could sustain and he could keep the planet spinning. Surely he can take care of the things of your life. He who began a good work in you will. What? Complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. He's actually working in you. He is sustaining you. He says in Jude. What does he say? That. Uh, he will not let you stumble. In Isaiah 41, he says this, Do not fear, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If the Christ who loves you sustains the universe, surely, he can sustain you. That's sweet news to me, isn't it? To you. So worship Christ because he is God. And then secondly, worship Christ because he is the redeemer. Because he is the redeemer. Worship Christ because he is the redeemer. He said here, notice back in um, verse 3. He's the exact representation of his nature. Upholds all things by the word of his power. And then now he switches to not who he is, but what he has done. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He paid the debt. Jesus paid the debt. When he had made purification of sins, made, of course, is in the past tense. The word there for purification is where we get the word catharsis. It is the cleansing, a purification, washing. If you want to write a theological term for this, this is called the atonement. Christ's blood on our behalf. Every sin you've ever done will do. Every thought, evil thought you've ever thought, 
if you are in Christ Jesus, has been paid for past tense. He made purification for sins. And the writer of Hebrews is going to continue on to encourage the Hebrews, to encourage them as God has given it to us. This is your birthright that I am forgiven in him because he has done it. He has finished it. Notice in Hebrews chapter 9, we see this theme recurring over and over again. Hebrews chapter 9, he's talking about how did Christ purify us? How did Christ purify us? It isn't me. It wasn't my work. I didn't cleanse myself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, he says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he had to be a high priest. He had to be the mediator before God and man. We could not face God in our sins. He entered through a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation, not through the blood of goats and calves. How did he pay? He paid with his own blood. Through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of the heifer, sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The way Jesus paid for your debt is he paid with himself so that you would be pure. The pure became impure for the impure to become pure. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, it says this, and this is your, this is where you could rest. He says, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters into holy place year by year with blood not his own. The high priest would have to come and offer every year, offer every year, because the sins would pile up, offer every year. But he says here, otherwise he would have no need to suffer, offer then since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he's using Hebrews chapter 1 language in these last days, remember. He has been manifested to put away sin, again, by the sacrifice of self. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once after this conjudgment. So Christ, and here it is, also having been offered once, he was offered once to bear the sins of many, shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. He made purification by offering himself one time in the past so we would be sure we are saved. So we would be a people who do not live with a guilty conscience. Because all of our sins have been met on Christ. See, if you're in Christ, if you believe in him, you don't need to know or measure if you've done enough to earn the favor and forgiveness of God. Let's stop right here. You can't earn the favor of God. Never in a million years will you meet 
the perfect standard that is required of you as a creature in the kingdom of the creator. You don't even meet your own standards. You create standards for yourself. You don't even meet those, your own moral standards. You say lying is a sin. You still lie. You say being bitter or being cruel to others is a sin. You're bitter and you're cruel. You say being selfish is a sin. You do that. You don't even meet your own moral standards. How are you going to even meet the standards of God himself? You need someone to stand in your place. You will not make it. And then he says, we must rely in that purification. God created man, and man in his sin rebelled against God. He is estranged, wants nothing to do with God, doesn't want him over him. Doesn't want his lordship, his authority. In his kindness, God sent his son. And mankind killed him, displayed their own hatred for the Savior, for God himself. Don't kid yourself. If Jesus was around right now and you don't know him and you don't love him, you wouldn't want him around you either. You'd get rid of him too. But because of that, that sacrifice on the cross where we all deserve judgment, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. And that sacrifice is once and for all. He will rescue you from your sins for all, for all time. Turn to him if you have not. He finished the work. Notice he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the complete finality of the work he sat down when you're done with work you sit the exalted recognition is the right hand of the majesty on high this is a repeated theme in the new testament when jesus is done he sits down at the right hand of god in ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 he says which he brought about in christ when he raised him from the dead proving his victory right and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places the right hand being the position of favor Hebrews 8 1 later on says now the main point and what has been said is this we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens Hebrews 10 12 says but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God Hebrews 12 2 says fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy sat before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The sitting down, one commentator puts it this way, and it's, it's uh, easier to understand that there are at least four aspects of what does sitting down mean. The sitting down is a sign of honor. Um, we notice that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The sitting down was a sign of authority. He is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. The sitting down was a completed work. 
We saw that in Hebrews 10, 12, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. And the sitting down was our interceder. Christ, you could write this, Romans 8, 34. Christ is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. We, um, we had our, our annual hike, which is now being renamed our annual photo shoot in the rain with a little bit of hiking. <laughs> we took a lot of pictures, right? Um, we have a lot of fun out there being in God's creation. I think the, the highlight I was asking some of the students, what was your highlight? And they said, I really like Manny's testimony. I said, well, what did you like about it? And so they shared certain things and... Um, Manny was sharing uh, how he told his testimony about his friends and how he was so close to them in the martial arts community. And he loved his friends so much. I'm embarrassing you now, Manny. He loved his friends so much. But when he saw the glory of Christ, and saw the beauty of the church. And saw the, the sweetness of his scriptures. And the fellowship of the saints. He shared with his group of martial artists there. That he was going to still practice. But not spend as much time. And he wants to spend more time in church. And rather than accepting that. They ejected him from their little group. They said, we don't get out of here. We don't want you. And Manny was telling us about how it really hurt him. Right? And uh, it just reminded me of just there is a point in time where you have to draw the line in the sand. Right? And for all intents and purposes, I mean, it was back in that time Bruce Lee was coming out. You got to remember this, right? Bruce Lee was out. Everybody wanted to be like Bruce Lee. I think I watched his shows over and over and over again. Hit myself in the head with nunchucks too many times. Right? That's what the world acclaimed. That's what the world wanted. And Manny saw something, saw someone worth more than that. Little trifles compared to the glory of Christ. Trivial things, really, compared to the glory of Christ. It's almost like C.S. Lewis when he said, uh, the kids who love to play in the mud and make mud pies, they would rather stay with the mud pies than go to a day in the beach because they've never been to the beach. They don't see how much better it is to be over there. They'd rather just stay home and make mud pies. If you don't see his glory, you have traded it in for something much lesser. God is not there to ruin your fun, to ruin your day, to ruin your joy. Let me tell you, when you come to Christ, you receive fullness of joy. When you come to Christ, it is a deeper, more lasting joy that is more satisfying than anything this world can give. Why? Because majesty came low for you. 
majesty came low. And so Brother Manny shared with him, I could still see with him, I could still see there's a little hurt there. But he shared with us, and I, I know what it was. And if you're in Christ, you know what it was. You saw someone sweeter, more magnificent, worth your life. Gladly give it a thousand, a million times for the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, the one who upholds all things, and the one who made purification for sin and sat down. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that this morning we could glory in your Son. We love you. Words fail us to express the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would work on all of our hearts, that we would be melted once again. Thank you for making purification of sins. It never gets old to us. Help us to glory in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.